<laughs> we don't have mufflers on our cars. <laughs> oh, I know. We have them ripping up and down our street once in a while. It's like, ah. Off like, why do you think that's cool? <laughs> yeah, I don't get it either. We're just getting old. <laughs> I hate everything. That's right. Get off my lawn. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Uh, my name is Rob Minot, and joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello again, everybody. And uh, it's just me and you today, sir. It is indeed. Steve's doing uh, that work thing again. Yeah, that's right. Guy, That guy and his work. That's right. How dare he? The hardest working podcaster <laughs> in the world. Really? <laughs> you think? That's what it says on the t-shirt. <laughs> We should get some t-shirts and say that. We should, actually. <laughs> Steve, the hardest working yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's another more more AT banter swag. That's ideas. right. T-shirt with that, with this picture on it. Yep. That'd I be like great. <laughs> hey, I, did, do, do we, did we send those, those uh, jerseys out? Uh, Steve's got the jerseys and the cowbells. I'm not sure if he sent them or not yet, but we will be asking people later on to send us some information because we're not doing a draw this week. It's going to be next week for the final jersey plus two more cowbells. Ooh, that is exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, just a reminder, cowbell at AT Banter. Tell us that you want that last jersey and it could be yours. And if even if you've won in the past, you can re-enter. What the hell? We don't have any rules around here. That's right. It's the wild west around this place, I tell you. It is. Uh, hey, you know what? I was reading. Uh, oh, well, hey, before we launch into anything, uh, what are we doing today? Today, we are speaking with Jim O'Donnell, creator of Knights of the Braille, which is a website um, and online community of blind, partially sighted, and sighted people playing Dungeons and Dragons, as well as other role-playing games. Yeah, that's cool. And not, it's not only that they're playing it too, but they've also like made a lot of the resource books for, for Dungeons and Dragons um, accessible. Mm-hmm. Huge deal because I, I know you don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> that's right. I actually had a social life in high school, I'm sure. Uh, but um, those resource books, like they're big. Like we're talking, you know, two, 300 pages of like dense text. Um, and uh, it's, I'm sure that it took a lot of time to make those accessible. Well, um, and can you imagine, like, if they're just scanned images, you'd have to go in and retype it so it made logical sense and create headings and links to sections so people could jump around easily and, ugh, nightmare. Well, I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure that those resource books have digital versions of them. Right. I'm, 
Yeah. Hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, so it, it's obviously a big job, but it's so such a great idea because Dungeons and Dragons, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, like Ryan, uh, I mean, it, it is very much based on, you know, uh, the imagination and, you know, telling a story. It's sort of like collaborative storytelling wrapped up in a game. And it's, it really, there's, there's no reason other than the actual materials themselves that there should be a, a roadblock to people who are blind and partially sighted. It's actually a great game if you can just get past those materials. So um, it's really cool that somebody has stepped up and, and, and started making these materials accessible. Because uh, I think that it, it could really, really, you know, balloon into like a, a fairly big community of people who are into Dungeons and Dragons. Because hey, Dungeons and Dragons is kind of cool right now, along with a lot of other, you know, geek chic. Well, and even you know the current climate we're in with the pandemic, and a lot of people be, might be feeling isolated as well. You know, this gives you another sense of community, right, of like-minded people. So yeah. I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's true. So we will be talking to him a little bit later. Um, hey, I know what I know what I want to talk about. Did you see this article from a few weeks back? Uh, I just kind of got to it now, but it's about the um, the COVID app up here in Canada for all our American listeners. I don't know what you guys got, but they, the, the the federal government has released a a COVID app here that will do contact tracing. So if, uh, if your phone, or how does it work now? I guess it uses Bluetooth and it basically, if you have been around somebody who later on goes on to report that they have had, or they have COVID, um, you'll get a text message saying, Hey, you were in the proximity of somebody who has now like tested positive for positive for COVID beware kind of a thing. Um, so they've released this app and I guess it's getting a little bit of pushback here because it isn't accessible. Well, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not that it's not accessible. It doesn't work on older phones and older operating systems on, I guess, both iOS and Android. Right. And, you know, I didn't try it on one of my older Android phones, um, cause I've gone back to iOS and running a 10 R now, but it's interesting because, you know, the older phones, I think they say, you know, five years or older, you know, I have an iPhone 5C, which came out in 2013, and I tried to download and install the app, and as soon as it began the install, it said, nope, you must be running at least iOS version 11.4. Um, so, you know, I'm out of luck on that phone, but I'm glad that's not my only phone, and there's a huge population out there i think that don't upgrade their phones every year and are going to be left out well and you know that's the 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 basic the criticism that this article lays out and that a lot of the pushback has has been happening is that people are complaining that of course the populations that tend to have sort of older technology would be like the older demographic um, or people who you know are lower income that maybe don't have the money to you know just you replace their phones every two years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and those, those could be the very populations that would be tend to be vulnerable and would tend to be, you know, uh, autoimmune compromised 
Uh, but I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know how, where I come down on this because like, I get that, like, I get that that's a problem, but at the same time, like the technology moves forward, just see, like any platform isn't you, you, we couldn't run that type of technology on older phones. Cause whatever, maybe the Bluetooth protocols are, are out of date and right. wouldn't actually be able to, they like the, literally the hardware would not be able to either power the app or like make it perform the way that it needs to in order to do effective contact tracing. Well, and that's what's interesting is nobody's actually giving us a reason why it won't work on older phones at this point yet. Is it because the Bluetooth technology is out of date? Um, is it because the newer phones have proximity sensors and the older ones don't? Like right. no, nobody's explaining that. Yeah, well, and nobody seems to really be all that concerned with digging into <laughs> and finding out why. Yeah. The, the app can't work on older phones. I mean, they're all complaining that it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but I, like, I don't necessarily know that they, when they went to develop it, they were just like, well, just screw it. We'll just build it like so that it works on the most current operating system and that's it. I, I don't know that it's that necessarily cut and dry. Now, that's not to say that maybe what they should also be doing is trying to develop a solution for those older phones and for those older operating systems. Uh, and I don't know that they're necessarily doing that. So it, it could very well be that this is something that needs to be called out and, and called attention to and to be like, look, we, there needs to be some sort of a solution for these older devices, even if it's not specifically this app, then build, a, build something that's, that is going to work for those phones. Yeah, and, you know, there's been no feedback from Apple or Google yet. So I think this is something we're going to have to keep our eye on and just see if it comes back full circle and, you know, somebody actually tells us why it doesn't work. Well, that would be nice. And, I mean, I mean, again, this, is, this article is like a couple of weeks old, so this has been out in the wild for a while. I don't know that I've seen any sort of an update about it, so I, I don't know. Um, it, and it could just very well be that that technology just isn't possible on older phones. And well, then come so, out and say that. <laughs> just tell us. Tell us why it doesn't work. <laughs> explain to us, damn it. We have a That's podcast, right. and a lot of our listeners are very powerful. And <laughs> That's right. We want answers. Don't make us sick shan on you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, so, yeah, I, I feel like this, like, articles like this are a little bit frustrating because I feel like they set up a problem, but mm -hmm. they don't they don't offer any solutions. I, You know, it, it's just basically like, oh, well, the federal government hasn't responded. And Yeah, it's basically know. a topic for discussion, right? There's no resolution at the end of it. There doesn't seem to be. Like, I don't know. Like, is it really hard, that hard to for the for whoever the developer is or the 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 federal government who who is you know commissioned the app uh to just say yeah well it won't work on older phones because blank or yeah this app isn't work you know work on older phones but we're gonna we're working on something some right. other solution for that those phones i don't know like nobody just people just get outraged and then move on and nothing seems to really be fixed or addressed yeah and that's the frustrating part to me. It's just like, absolutely. So, you know, in some ways, again, you know, it, it's frustrating because 
you, you just get the sense that they're just like, you know what, this is what you've got. Deal with it. And then they just walk away. So to everybody in our audience in Canada, write to your MPs and find out why this app will not work on older phones. And let us know. That's right. Do our work for us. <laughs> <laughs> let us know so that we can report back to you. That's right. No, it's, yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know how to feel about this. I feel like just, there's just not enough information to really for well, me anyways to sort of decide whether or not I'm, I should be outraged or not. Well, and again, you know, if they would just come out, if somebody would come out and say it doesn't work because of A, B, and C, then fine, we can move on. Hopefully they're working on another solution. You know, I've got a, a Canon inkjet printer here from, I don't know, 15 years ago that, you know, my wife and I were trying to get working on her Chromebook last night and I tried it on my Windows 10 computer and it sees it, but is it going to print? No. Well, you know, technology moves forward, right? And stuff isn't always backwards compatible. So it may just be that it only works on the new phones and that's the way it is. Well, and here's the other problem though, too. There, there is another, another wrinkle in this and that's that in order for contact tracing to work, um, I think the number was something like between 65 to 80% right. of all need to be using it in order for it to really work effectively like right. the way it should be. And so with an app that doesn't work on these older phones, then we're not going to get anywhere near that number and the whole thing is kind of useless anyways. Yeah. So that's a problem for sure. Um, well, you've got people that may be concerned about privacy as well. I know they say it doesn't take any of your personal information, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, you you're in for, you're uploading the information to this app and it's going to a server somewhere. Uh, yeah, there's been breaches all the like, time. I, so yeah, that I don't, I like, I don't give any credence to that. No, but there are people that would, you know, just get over it. <laughs> Honestly, like this is, you give your personal information up for stupid things every day. You can give your personal information up for something like like this. That's very important. That could actually has the, have the potential to save lives yep. and to help slow the spread of of COVID. So you know, privacy policies can just shove it up your butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially if you're using Google or TikTok or <laughs> put, put that on a T-shirt. What's that? Take your privacy policy <laughs> and shove it up your butt. Wow, full yeah, of ideas. I just don't. I, I just don't think that um, you know privacy is is really should be um, something that you're worried about in terms of contact tracing. I mean, but no, like the big problem about this, and I get it. Like I do get it. It's you know people are are criticizing the government because it's like, well, you should have known that this is going to be a problem, and you should have been proactive about trying to come up with a solution. Uh, which is fair. That's valid. Um, it's just that I don't know if they, I don't know that if there was one, like, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is or, or how to make, you know, older hardware powerful enough to, to do something like this. And, and maybe it can't. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it can't. can't. So, uh, I guess we'll see, I guess we'll see if there are any, um, updates to this in the coming weeks, but so far, uh, nothing. So I don't know. 
Well, send us your feedback or comments if you've tried downloading and installing the app and what your experience was like. We want yeah. to know. Yeah, we want to know. Hi, everyone. This is Steve from Canadian Assistive Technologies, and this is a shameless plug. We've been working hard to find less expensive Braille products so we can make Braille available for more people. We can now say that we have Canada's most comprehensive lineup of inexpensive Braille solutions, including the 20-cell Braille Me from InnoVision, the soon-to-be-released 40-cell Orbit Braille display from Orbit Research, as well as the world's least expensive multi-line Braille reader, the Canute from Bristol Braille. You can have a look at them all on our website at www.canastech.com. Joining us now is Jim O'Donnell, creator of Knights of the Braille. So, Jim, I am Ryan Fleury, and joining me is my host, Rob Minot. Pleasure to meet you both. Glad you could join us. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Well, you know, we've been doing the podcast for four years. We've talked about accessible gaming a, a few times throughout that period, but... There's so much more out there that's available to people. And I just, you know, when I come across something I find might be interesting, let's see if we can get somebody on to talk about it. So here you are. So why don't we start out, just give us a, a little bit of, a, of an idea who you are and, and your vision condition and how this all came about. Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously I'm Jim. I have Stargardt disease, um, which is, uh, degenerative eye condition. I'm legally blind now. Um, I work at the CNIB and in my free time, I'm advocating for accessible uh, role-playing games, specifically tabletop role-playing games. Woohoo, fellow Canadian. Woohoo! Yeah, they haven't kicked me out yet. <laughs> and what whereabouts do you, do you hang your hat? I'm in Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Oh, sorry about that. Vancouver, so. <laughs> oh, that's why you guys are so easy going, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and how long have you been at the CNIB? Uh, me, I've only been here a year and a half, but I've been a client for five years. Okay, so how did this all start? Now, did you, um, were you always into D&D? Um, or was this something that, that you heard of and then you decided to, to get into after you had sort of gotten some vision loss? I played it when I was a teenager with a bunch of fellow nerds. That was when it was definitely not cool to be uh, caught playing it. So we'd do it in secret after school and not tell anyone. <laughs> and I fell out of it for a few years. And then going through vision loss, I wasn't really satisfied with many of the hobbies available in the community. So I figured I'd sort of take it upon myself to uh, make the hobby available to more people and not just through Dungeons and Dragons, but now I'm working with smaller and larger publishers to make their rule books accessible so that people have more options. Well, and, and first of all, and this is a side note too, Ryan, I heard you laugh when you talked about, I completely relate <laughs> to geeks. that. When, when I was in high school, that's exactly what we had to do too. Nobody was. And see, that's funny. I was about... like, nobody admitted that. Like this whole new movement where there's like porn stars and celebrities who play D&D. &D. 
<laughs> so chafed when I heard that because I'm just like, damn it. We had to play like in secret, like on the weekends in somebody's basement. And, you know, they'd ask what we did on the weekend and we'd be like, well, we played soccer. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you'd never admit to it. But yeah, the last like 10 years or so, doing nerdy stuff seems to have become popular. Cool now. I know. <laughs> damn it. See, we, just, we were just... We were born to, we were born ahead of your time, our, our time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, but that's, it, it brings up a really interesting point because, um, there are these, these sort of huge and video games is, is something that we've been talking about recently too. And, and sort of the, the, the real push to start to make video games, a, an accessible option for people because video games are such a big, important part of our culture. And I would say that, Games like D and D are very much the same way, um, and so it's it's interesting to me that nobody has really thought of of a push into making D and D materials and and books accessible. Like I, I I like when we came across your your site, um, I thought, wow, I've not heard of this before. But are, like, but but to the question to you, are there other communities? Like, are there um, accessible materials out there and how long have they sort of been around or are you guys the first? There, there is one group called Dots RPG who also advocate for accessibility, but they're more into the hardware aspect. So they're looking at Braille dice and um, Braille rule books and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to get accessible stuff available digitally for uh, you know as low a price as possible which includes free for some of the rule books we're conveying but um the other part of it is that trying to develop a community where people come to play D&D with other visually impaired and blind people is very important um i think that's the biggest part for me is keeping it rooted in the blind community we have a lot of sighted people there too and it's quite interesting that a lot of them are looking to develop ways in which we can engage with the game uh, on a strategic level rather than just, you know, playing narratively through speaking. Why do you think it is that, you know, D&D's Dungeons and Dragons, for those who don't know what D&D is, has been around for, I don't know, 40, 50 years. Why do you think it's taken so long for somebody to kind of grab the bull by the horns and start developing accessible materials? I'm really not sure, to be honest. I think that there was actually quite a big, quite a big gap of people not wanting to jump into the game in the 90s because there was this mentality of, oh, if I go into the game and I don't know how to play, people are going to laugh at me. You know, I, I'm going to get bullied by the super nerds and, and not be welcome back. And then after that, it seemed that, you know, it wasn't cool to do it. And now I think that people are starting to get into it. People are looking to explore it. And what I found is, with a lot of the you know nerdy folks in the blind community is that they are in that boat where they're like i want to jump into a game but i don't know how to play and i don't want to look like a fool so i run sessions where it's like hey you don't need to know anything just show up have fun and see what it's like and i think people 
realize once they get into it they're like oh there's a lot more of a social aspect to this than just playing a game and so i think as as it spreads more people are going to get involved but i really don't know why people didn't push for it originally maybe you know a sighted person would bring their blind friend in but it was very visual in terms of the strategic element where you play on a grid and you move miniatures around and you know you don't have to play that way anymore especially with a lot of games that are developed now with what's called theater of the mind right. uh, in place already so that you can play without any visual cues yeah and, and in a way dnd has always been actually it would have always been a really good fit for um, somebody who's blind or visually impaired because um, you know, a, a, other than like the source materials that obviously weren't accessible, like the, the rule books and dice and stuff like that. But I mean, the, the core of the game itself is all about imagination. It's about, you know, somebody describing a scene and then, you know, all the, the people who are playing, you know, telling what they're going to do and what their action is and, and rolling dice and, and going from there. But it, 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 it was always meant to be this idea of something that was a theater of the mind and that was about imagination specifically. So, I mean, it, it is really interesting to think that we've come this far and really there hasn't been a push for this. Um, and it could be a couple of different reasons. I mean, I think that you also have to remember, Ryan, that um, D&D really only entered the, the, I would say, the, quote, mainstream for maybe about 10 years. I mean, it's, it really, it's really sort of taken off in popularity and, and there's a, a cool geekness to it these days um, that never really was there before. So it could just be just uh, on, on, a, on a mainstream um, demand for something like this just hasn't been there historically. Right. So I'm probably just not in the right circles of people. That's why I've missed it. <laughs> yeah. Really. You need to hang around more nerds. That's I guess. <laughs> you need to go to more Game of Thrones marathons. <laughs> uh, you know, I've never even seen an episode of Game of Thrones. So. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure I'd love it. I'm sure I'd love it. I love action, all that sort of stuff. So might have to dive in at some point. It's okay. I think you want you've watched Lord of the Rings though. Oh yeah. Okay, so you've got some some geek cred. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just I've, the theatrical because that's important too. Yeah. No, I've got the Harry Potter books and movies and the Lord of the Rings movies and I've read all the books and. Yeah, so you're okay. All right. <laughs> you can play with us. Thank you. <laughs> well, I've, so I've actually run games for people like Ryan before where they show up, they don't really know anything and. They, they don't have a character, and um, I just say to them, well, who's a fantasy character that you like? And I've had Dumbledore, <laughs> I've had uh, Jon Snow, uh, people like that coming along that, that play as fictional characters, and then they, they get into the game that way. So, you know, you really don't need to have a deep knowledge to get into the game. Right. Yeah, and that's... Um, but again, you know, it just... It really, it, it really at the core of this... I think the, the important part to take out of this is that so much of the game is just, it's perfect um, because some of it, so much of it is just centered around imagination. But that being said, and here's, you know, where Knights of the Braille come in. Um, part of the problem is that it's also very, 
resource heavy. So there are, you know, there's there's two or three source books that you pretty much need um, in order to, you know, to for all the rules. And they're thick books too. They're, you know, it's they're three, four hundred page. Well, maybe not three or four hundred page, but I mean, they're what? They're about two hundred pages, maybe each. Yeah, they're two to three hundred pages. Yeah. So I mean, that's a lot. Of, that's a that's a lot of information there. And so to take that and to make that accessible, um, it must have been a challenge. So can you walk us through what what that process was kind of like for you guys? So we've actually been using newly accessible versions of it through uh, the Wizards of the Coast who created the game. They've now been advocated to make accessible rule books. So you can get access to them online. Um, the issue is that if people want variety outside of Dungeons and Dragons, there's none. Uh, there's no accessible way of making a character. And there's only recently become accessible dice rolling methods outside of purchasing braille dice. So obviously you've got your Google home and stuff like that, Siri, but now they've got a few apps and even on our discord where we hold our games, we have an accessible dice roller on the discord server. So you can type in exclamation point R uh, D 20 and it will roll a 20 sided dice for you. Um, we've got all sorts of stuff like that. Character sheets. I've put together a few different ways that you can accessibly make a character, which isn't available anywhere at the moment. And then on top of that, as I say, we run our games with accessibility in mind and having the large books there in an accessible format from the, uh, publisher now is great. But as you say, there's so much source material that you need to learn it and you have to have an understanding playing with blind and visually impaired people that it takes them a long time to look stuff up. Yeah. And if someone's using a screen reader, they can't listen to the group and look something up at the same time. So you have to give people the allowance of, okay, he's looking something up now. So I'm not going to engage with him until he responds again and I'll move on to helping someone else. So there's a bit of management in there, but it all leads to, what started happening now, which is I have players who played in my games who feel confident enough in themselves that they're beginning to run games. So it's helping to slowly spread the, the community. But outside of um, Dungeons and Dragons, as I said, I'm currently converting other rule books into accessible formats. And all it is is literally taking them and reformatting them, adding headings, and uh, making sure the text flows on the screen reader, just little things like that. You can, you know, use OCR software to read the PDF, but there's so much junk in there that it jumps around all over the place when you're trying to play it back. And it can be quite difficult to navigate and find what you're looking for. So we're hoping that by volunteering our time to produce the accessible formats for publishers as an act of goodwill that they'll eventually see the value in it and decide to start incorporating accessibility from the ground up and then hopefully have that spread. So you've been in contact then with publishers? Yeah. So um, working with a publisher called Free League at the moment and uh, converting one of their games, uh, Coriolis. We've just converted a smaller game called Five Torches Deep 
and uh, I have a couple of others at the moment, but um, I'm I'm not allowed to tell you what they are. Yet, sure. Unfortunately. Well, you know, and that process is so much easier too when you can get the publisher involved because, you know, when they when they publish a book, um, you know, all that content, you know, they they have all that digitally, so it's really easy at that point in a digital format to strip out things like pictures or, you know, column formatted columns or something that that is going to confuse a screen reader so that they can they can actually provide that pure text that makes it way easier to actually format that and then produce something that's that's um, going to be accessible. Yeah, and it's not just for screen reader use with headings, but um, I've been formatting them to work for visually impaired people. So that means making sure that there's good spacing, there's bolding, there's no italics. Um, everything is is clearly laid out on the page. And on top of that, um, in PDF format, having clickable links for every section of the document so that as they come to the chapter, they can find what they're looking for instead of scrolling through twice as many pages because now it's 16-point font. Um, so I've been doing that on top of uh, adding the accessibility for screen readers. So have the publishers been open to, I, I guess they've been open to you converting their stuff to be accessible, but what has their f feeling been, I guess, when you've broached the subject of accessibility? So most of them have, have been pretty good. Uh, a couple of them were, were really eager to do it. And um, they offered payment, and I and I said, you know, look, I'm doing this as a as an act of goodwill to show you the the benefit of it. You know that the blind community will be grateful towards you. And you know, in response, they said, well, in that case, you know, you can give it to the blind community for free. You know, and and that's great. Some of them are just like, you know, if you want, you can do it, and it's like. I, Thanks. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> they, they don't, I don't think they quite get it. Right. Why, why I want to do it. And then um, a, a big publisher who I'm talking to at the moment have, have been really enthusiastic about it. And obviously, you know, want the, the goodwill of, of including another community because obviously um, inclusivity is a big topic at the moment in every industry. And, right. and, you know, everyone wants to be seen to be the good guy and to try and help us. So, you know, I think it's the right time as well to start asking for that help. Yeah, especially because really because of COVID, um, a lot of D&D groups are doing things exactly like, like you guys are doing, which is to gather together in an online on an online platform. And in this case, I believe you guys are using um, Discord, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like using something like discord to, to actually play together and, you know, not only does that have the advantage of, of course, social distancing, um, but it also lets you play with people from anywhere. Yeah. That was the big thing that I wanted to do. Um, saying about the main focus of it being community is uh, actually, I mentioned earlier, I'm working for the CNIB. And I'd started looking into accessibility for Dungeons and Dragons about six months before I started working here. And then I started talking to people on the phone from across, across the country 
and it became clear that a lot of people are quite isolated and they can't engage in the activities available and they can't get a sense of community. And then I thought, well, you do an online weekly game, anyone can join and they get that sense of community. You know, you're not sitting around talking about, you know, blind folk stuff all the time, but you know, it, it, it's nice to know there's other people out there. And it was just, you know, a strange coincidence that, you know, a year and a half, two years after starting it, COVID hit. And then it was, I was bombarded with people signing up yeah. at that time. But not only that, it also makes sense to really have that push for digital accessibility because everything is moving into sort of like an online, um, you know, using these online platforms a lot more these days. Um, something like digital accessibility and turning these resource books into something that's digitally accessible just makes sense right now. Yeah, there's a couple things that um, are an issue. One is that the two main platforms that people use to play online are called Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds. And those are very heavy on visuals because you have maps and grids and everything else, and it automatically calculates everything for you. You can pull up a, a rule, you know, at the click of a button, but there's zero accessibility because it's so visual. They, what reasons do they have to sort of include us because we can't utilize half the content on there. Um, so we're just not a priority for them, uh, unfortunately. So I think it's important to have a dedicated community that uses an accessible format uh, to approach it. And the other issue, you know, that I have with the production of these accessible uh, rule books for games is that a lot of publishers will do Kickstarters now. And every time there's a Kickstarter, you know, there's a large chunk of money put aside for uh, art assets and you know you could easily put aside some of that money to uh, hire one of the people I know who who do this stuff for a living that could make the rule book accessible and um, you know again that's why I'm advocating to do this stuff for free in the hopes that they'll hire one of these contractors in future so that I don't have to spend my free time <laughs> converting this stuff and, and we'll all have access to it What's, what's the process like for you, like to create something that's accessible from one of these resource books? How, how long does it generally take you? Uh, it takes me months. So I have to go through it multiple times uh, because it's not just a case of taking the text, throwing it into a new document, adding headings and formatting the text in that way. But the way that it's actually written is based around the layout, the visual layout. So to give you an example of that, they might have two columns, but they might also have a little box here that gives you an example, a little table off on the side, and then something referring to a, a visual aspect from the page before. So you have to reorganize and reformat the text in terms of making it flow for someone using a screen reader and make sense. Um, so that can be a challenge as well. I don't want to, you know, inhibit the artistic integrity of their vision for their game, but at the same time, 
I want someone to read through and have it make sense to them. So we'll probably come back to the Dungeons and Dragons. You mentioned a few other games that you've uh, been working on. Are they along the same lines as Dungeons and Dragons? Um, one of them is actually. So uh, Five Torches Deep is a role-playing game that is based directly off Dungeons and Dragons. But I'll go off on a wee tangent here for a second. Dungeons and Dragons is currently on the fifth edition. So that's the fifth reimagining of the rules. And it's currently the uh, the easiest one to get into. The rules are really simple. Um, once you've got all your information on your character sheet, uh, there's no adding numbers, subtracting numbers, you know, a battle of mathematics like in old Dungeons and Dragons. It's just a case of adding or subtracting dice rolls. Um, so it's very simple to approach. So one of the games, Five Torches Deep, is like a, a hardcore Dungeons and Dragons for the old fans, um, where your heroes aren't invincible and you know things are very difficult and you really have to think before you go into a situation. So Dungeons and Dragons provides the opportunity to be narratively free and a very low pressure game, which is fantastic. And then Five Torches Deep, adds a little edge to it for anyone else. Uh, the one I'm working on at the moment is called Coriolis. It's a science fiction um, role-playing game. It's described by the publisher as Arabian Nights meets Firefly. Um, it's a really fun game, pretty simple to play, pretty easy to get into. And then the next one I'm working on is uh, Alien RPG, which is based on the Alien movies. Um, and that one's great because it's it's like a horror survival <laughs> role-playing game. I, I played a session of it with a few people the other week, and um, you're put into, you know, this stressful situation, and then things are being thrown at you every few minutes, you know, disaster after disaster, just like in the films, and you're just trying to get out of the situation. So those are the things that I'm working on at the moment, and... Um, Five Torches Deep is available through our Discord at the moment. See, and that's the other nice thing about um, this sort of renaissance of, of role-playing games and with the popularity that that D&D is having is that there's a lot more smaller independent companies that are coming out with their own licensed games in some, in some cases, or in some cases, it's just their own world. Um, because so I imagine that like for you, like the sort of the sky is the limit in terms of con contacting a lot of these people and trying to get to them to convert their materials into something that's going to be accessible. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, Dungeons and Dragons have been hammered by us and a few other people to include accessibility and they're really striving for it now. Um, they could do a little better in terms of troubleshooting issues with screen readers and making some of their content accessible but they are working on it and they have been really good so it, in total honesty i'm really confident that in the next year or two dungeons and dragons will be fully accessible and i can just concentrate on running groups on that side which is the biggest part of knights of the braille because dungeons and dragons is very popular and then on the other side is you know for the hardcore players that want something different I'm going to keep advocating to try and get 
more and more publishers involved in that accessibility and hopefully dungeons and dragons will be the uh you know the the role-playing game to look up to not just in terms of how popular it is but how accessible it is to everyone as well now have you have you been contacted by people that have just sort of come across the site and been like oh my god like this is so cool that you guys are doing this um you know we're gonna we're gonna start up a, a similar group wherever they happen to be um or or do they just like come to you and be like we want to play yeah most people come to us and they're like i want to play um my biggest engagement is uh on twitter with um people who message me and say i've never played before can i ask you some questions and it usually ends with me just saying just jump in jump in a game you know come come along to my next session and just have fun and i you know i tell everyone there you know this person's new so help them out and i we we haven't had a bad apple yet so you know i'm i'm really happy about that most people that contacts about starting their own groups are actually for kids um there's a big push at the moment to get kids to play because as you said earlier you know video games are really popular especially with kids but um getting activities uh for blind young adults is really difficult because you know there's not that much available outside of sports or outings um so this is definitely something's being pushed ironically enough um the CNIB contacted me without realizing I work for them and asked me if I'll run workshops for them. So uh, this November, I'll be running workshops for the place I work <laughs> independently to try and encourage young people to get involved. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I've always said, like even even early on, like D&D is a great activity for kids because it it, it encourages reading, it encourages imagination, there's math skills, there's, you know, critical thinking and logic that you can use. It, it really is um, like a, a really great way to exercise your brain, certainly more than sitting and, and playing, you know, Mario Kart for 10 <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, with a video game, you sort of, you learn the mechanics and then you learn to manipulate them. Whereas with Dungeons and Dragons, you're presented a situation and you can provide any solution you can think of um and it does encourage your imagination and then yeah you've got you got a little bit of mathematics in there as well so it does help with that so when you're hosting a session how long is a typical session run for three hours long three Holy hours of, of nerds being nerdy so it's wow. a, a long time but usually flies by yeah, wow. it absolutely does. I mean, we used to play all night. We used to pull all nighters and and you know play for eight hours straight. Wow, oh, man, you must have had a pretty dedicated dungeon master. Yeah, well, that one, yeah, and a lot of candy. <laughs> See, my my campaign to be over really quick. Somebody would ask me, you know, you're being confronted by an ogre, blah blah blah. What do you do? I said, kill him. <laughs> you know, and I'd probably die right away. Woo, done. Good night. <laughs> I'm telling you, Ryan, you should go. I think you should go play. Well, I was, I was just going to say to Jim that I haven't seen like a calendar of events on the Knights of Braille website. So, is that something you guys have thought about so that people know when you're hosting one and can jump in? We did do that um, at the beginning of COVID. So, on our Discord, 
under the game section, we'd announce when there was what's called a one shot coming up. So one shot is a one-off session where people just jump in, play for the three hours, and they're done at the end of it so they can get a taste of the game. Um, we haven't done any in about a month, so we're probably going to do some more. But um, the interest isn't high enough that I need to run uh, one shots every week. I only need to run them about once a month. So if people want to jump into one, just uh, hop onto our Discord, which you can find a link to on our website, knightsofthebrow.com. And uh, yeah, just say, hey, guys, uh, I want to join a game. And usually there'll be someone there that will say, yeah, I'll run one. We had, uh, so oh, actually, sorry, we had a one-shot run last Friday and another one run uh, last Saturday, to tell a lie. I haven't run one in, in a month. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, again, I think that it's a, it's a great activity. And it's, you know, and again, there's that social component too, because, um, you know, you're, you're playing with other people. And especially that right now, we're all trying to stay home as much as possible. So, yeah, I think, I think it's great. I think that, you know, the work that you guys are doing to sort of push accessibility into a lot of the materials is really important and and i agree i really hope that um the big companies really take take it seriously and realize that there's a demographic out there that that wants to play and and runs with it yeah i hope so i mean there's a lot of a lot of companies talk about accessibility but you know as you guys know without trying to be pessimistic or negative they'll talk about it but when it comes to action they're rarely willing to put the work in and yeah, yeah. you know by offering to do that on their behalf i'm hoping that they'll be like oh this actually does have benefit because you know a lot of people are really grateful that now they have access to our stuff but you know i in total honesty with you i i don't know if if it'll be long lasting or if it's just oh this guy's doing this for us for free so why would we ever hire a contractor to go and do it for us so it, it's quite difficult i mean it happens a lot of accessibility where companies want feedback, but they never want to have to pay someone to do that feedback on their behalf. So I, it's difficult to draw a line, you know, we want access to it, but you know, do we just stand and shout for it or do we go lead by example, or are we just shooting ourselves in the foot by doing that? So, you know, I, I'm taking this approach at the moment, but you know, I can tell you if it's if it's the the best way to get them on board, but I really hope it does. But I mean, you know, I think that there there is a case for you know, especially when when smaller developers have accessible accessible materials, um, you know, that makes other companies sort of stand up and notice and go, okay, well, their materials are accessible, so you know, we don't want to sort of be left out in the cold. And so it could just sort of be a little bit of a domino effect where the more the more game systems that are out there that are accessible and use that as a, as a selling feature um you know you, you the, the business case for it might become more apparent for a lot of these companies because you're absolutely right you know they don't necessarily want to be doing things completely strictly out of out of goodwill totally there has to be a business case for them to to do it and i think that you know what there's a great business case for it because there's, I, I think that it's, it's a great activity for, for anybody, regardless of, of what their vision condition is. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I'll jump in when you get the Star Trek game. <laughs> or, okay, the sci-fi. I'll, I'll give you a break. Oh, Let's, once, you, once you launch the sci-fi game, let me know. Absolutely, man. <laughs> Take on some Borg. That's right. <laughs> Wait, can we be sued for saying Borg? <laughs> <laughs> Is that copyright? All right. Well, listen, hey, we want to really thank you so much for, for taking some time out and joining us and, and telling us about uh, Knights of the Braille. Good luck with it. Like, I really hope that you guys have nothing but success with it. I think that it's it's great and it's super important. And um, certainly we're going to link to everything in our show notes as well. So anybody out there, if you're into D&D, you're just curious about it, or you just want to, you know, check out some of the accessible materials that are out there, knightsofthebraille.com. Or if you want to join a game that Rob is running, let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> running any games. I don't have the time. I wish I did. Like, I miss those days. I miss those basement D&D sessions. Well, that's what I was thinking about. Like, yeah, I got TV shows I didn't even get to because I've got audiobooks to read and podcasts to listen to and so many other things going on. Like, three hours. Where am I going to find three hours? <laughs> But it'd be it's really so interesting. It's so much more fun because you get to create your own story, your own audio book right. adventure, well, you know? It's it's a lot of fun. Like, Yeah, um, and absolutely. I definitely think it. Listening to audio books is, is the biggest inspiration when you're playing. You like, you want to drag those characters from the fantasy books you're reading into the game. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think it's something I will have to, you know, even sit in for an hour and just observe and just see how it's, how it's played and the socialization that takes place and... You know, give me a give me a taste of it, right? Yeah, you, well, you're welcome anytime, man. No, thank you. Yep. There you go. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you, Mr. O'Donnell. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Man, that is cool. I'm telling you, man, you need... I think you, we should really set this up so that you go play D&D with those guys. Well, and like then I, report back to us about how it was and what you thought of it. I think that would be super interesting. I think if I sat in for an hour just to kind of get a feel for how it how it all works, how it plays, um, you know, it might be something of interest to me. When he was saying that, you know, a game can last three hours, I don't have three hours. Oh, yes, you uh, do. No, actually, I don't. <laughs> you have three hours um, on a weekend. Like on a weekend, I would, probably. Sure. I, could, I could find the time. But That's when generally all these games happen, because people have lives and stuff. But. Exactly, but that's a chunk of time, so it'd be really interesting, like I said, to, to sit in and just see how it's, how, how it's played. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, not, it's, a, it's like watching a movie. It's the same type of investment. Watching any of the Lord of the Rings movies, it's the same thing. Yeah, that's true. It's probably why I don't watch movies anymore because I don't have two and a half hours. <laughs> Man, you have a packed social schedule. No, I don't. It's just between podcasts and audiobooks, and I've got a wife, and you know, um, I just I don't really spend a lot of time watching TV or movies anymore. Yeah, I don't even start it on that. So. <laughs> No, I think you'd, I think you'd enjoy it. I really do. And I think that a lot of like, I, I really do feel like it's a great idea for um, people who are stuck at home or people who, who historically haven't been able to try it out because again, the re all the resources and stuff were not accessible. So the, this is a really great idea that these guys have and they've put in a lot of work. So, you know, I'd recommend anybody, you know, who's even remotely interested, go check them out. And who knows, like, go, go join a game. 
Yeah, well, as you know, I think we heard there is really no visual component to it. Like, you know, there's virtual dice you can roll through an app on your phone or on their Discord server. You can also ask your digital assistants to, you know, roll a dice. Um, so there's really nothing physical you need to have. No, exactly. And I mean, for those people who aren't familiar with Discord, Discord is kind of like a, um, there's a video component of it too. So you can like connect a bunch of people together, like a Zoom call kind of an idea. Um, but it's also like, it's also text-based too. So you can, you have these channels that you can go into and, you know, just chat um, through, through, you know, on these channels and talk to people all over the world and stuff. And then, you know, you can also connect video wise. And so it's, it's a pretty robust platform. And from what I understand, it's, it's also pretty accessible. So, um, I mean, I don't know that it's quite as accessible as zoom. Don't quote me on that, but, uh, I mean, clearly these guys are using it. So, you know, it's, it's accessible enough to, to use with things like screen readers. Well, you should get in and play a game. I don't know. <laughs> you all the grumpy now. You <laughs> dragon, get off my lawn. Get the hell off my lawn, you stupid dragon. Get out of my castle. <laughs> Goblins. Get off my bridge. <laughs> just play like an old wizard that just had it. Those <laughs> people. Uh, it'd be hilarious. Yells at people going, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Well, hey, so Ryan. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, do we have any more jerseys? We do. We have the final number one flurry AT banter hockey jersey up for grabs. That's right. That's right. Uh, wow. So this is the coveted jewel in the crown <laughs> jersey that probably everybody's waiting for. I don't probably, know. Yeah, I think I think so. We had some entries uh, come in over the last week. And so this week is going to be the final week for you to get your names into the draw for the hockey jersey. And... We will also be drawing for two more AT Banter cowbells as well. Damn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. That's right. And right, we got to work on some more swag. I think, I'm telling you, I think we got some good t-shirt ideas out of this show. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely come up with something. All right. Uh, well, that's great. Okay. Well, so how do people enter, Ryan? People can send us an email saying, I want the jersey to cowbell at atbanter.com. That is correct. All right. Well, and don't wait too long because, like, we're doing this next week. So get those in immediately. As you listen to this, go to your computer, type it into your keyboard, cowbell at AT Banter. Tell us you want the jersey. It could be yours. It's a nice jersey. It's blue and white, and uh, it's got flurry on it. And you can wear it. You can wear it when you're watching hockey. And if you really want to have the flurry experience, let me know you want Ryan to wear it before we ship it to you. No, we tried that. With <laughs> I like that. So maybe we better not do that. All maybe right. Hit or something. No, don't sign it. I hate I, that. Always annoys me. Like when you see these jerseys and like people write on them. Yeah. 
then I guess most people like will take that and they'll frame it or something. Right. Which I don't know. That's weird. That's just weird. Yeah, but you were in the basement playing D and D while some of us were playing hockey. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Would, would would I get a piece of clothing signed by somebody and then frame it? I don't. I can't think of anybody that I'd really want that from. Yeah, I don't think I've got any signed jerseys. But I think in the guitar dungeon here, I think I have a picture or an album on the wall that is signed. Yeah, but that's cool. But, I don't know. I yeah. feel like that's all right. I just it just feels weird when it's a piece of clothing. Right. I just feel like, you know, memorabilia and stuff is cool. Pictures or an album cover or like even a ticket stub or something. You got somebody signed or I don't know. That's cool. But <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased. Maybe. Down with sports. Ever. No, I don't. No. <laughs> no. Don't get me started on that. I'm not down on sports. Sports are fine. Yay, sports. <laughs> With enthusiasm this time. <laughs> How do we get on to sports? What are we talking about? Okay, no. Okay, let's we get back on topic. All right. Uh, where can people find us? They can find us online at atbanter.com. They can also drop us a line at cowbell at atbanter.com if they want to comment, if they want to give us some show ideas, if they want to be on the show. And if they want this damn jersey. That's right. They can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Yoo-hoo. Yes, indeed. Well, I think that is enough for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks to Jim O'Donnell, the head knight of the Braille, uh, for coming on and talking to us about all things geek. We will see everybody next week. Bye-bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com. Or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. 